Well, I got up this morning. I was expecting snow, and it was raining. So it was a little icy out there this morning, but we're glad everybody made it here safely, and we're thankful uh, that we've had the occasion, or that we're having the occasion, to uh, worship God. It's always a privilege to be able to assemble with God's people and to uh, look forward to that uh, throughout the week, uh, the times that we have to come together. It's always a blessing. We've been looking for the last couple of weeks at the Holy Spirit, and this is the third lesson in our series. And it's probably going to be the last lesson for a while concerning the Holy Spirit and what it does. But today I want to talk about the indwelling of the Spirit. In our past lessons, we've talked about who the Holy Spirit is, and the religious world holds many different ideas concerning the Holy Spirit. And some believe that the Spirit, when it's talked about, is just another reference to God the Father. And some believe that the Spirit is just one aspect of God. But we've seen from Scripture that the Spirit is a separate personality in the Godhead. The Godhead is made up of three beings. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. And these three are so unified in their purpose that they act as one. And as you can see from the diagram, each one is individual. God is not the Son. Son is not the Father. The Holy Spirit is not the Father. The Holy Spirit is not the Son. And vice versa. They are all separate entities in that Godhead, but together they're so united that they speak as one. And so the truth is found not by what man may perceive or want to establish what they think that the Spirit does. Truth is established from God's Word. In John chapter 17 and verse 17, Jesus said, Sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. And if we accept the Bible, that it is God's inspired word, then we believe that truth is established by proving our beliefs by what the Bible says, and not what we can conjure up in our own mind, but is exactly what God wants us to know. It is based upon His Word. And so we know from what the Bible teaches in Acts chapter 5 or and verse 3 and 4 that God or that the Holy Spirit is deity. Just like it's part of the Godhead and God the Father, it is deity. Uh, when you lie to the Holy Spirit, you're lying to God. And if you're lying to God, then you're lying to the Holy Spirit. And so uh, they are. the Holy Spirit is deity. It is also separate, as we uh, have mentioned uh, in, our ver- in, in our Scriptures that we've looked at in the past. In Acts, or, uh, Matthew chapter 28, they're in a great commission. When He told them to go and teach, He said, "...baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost." All three. And then we can also see three different entities there, deities that are represented when Jesus was baptized. In Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, when Jesus is coming out of the water, the Spirit descends in the form of a dove, and then uh, the voice from heaven, which is God, says, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So you see the three represented there, each one in a different location. Jesus is in the water, coming out of the water. The Spirit's descending in the form of a dove, and then the voice from heaven. So you see all three in different ways. And so that's what the Bible there wants us to see. But some want to say that, well, God is powerful enough that He can be in three places at one time. Well, what's the purpose? Of, what would be the purpose of that? Why would God call Jesus His Son if they're really the same person? 
Or if there's only one being, is God declaring that He's pleased with Himself when He says, this is My beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased? When you look at the Scripture, to me it makes no sense to say that it is one being. They're all separate beings that we can, we can read about uh, in the Bible. Jesus said in John chapter 14 and verse 26, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in My name, He will teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. That Comforter is sent to be a helper. It's to guide them in the truth. It's to bring to their remembrance the things that Jesus taught. We also know that the Spirit also confirmed the Word through the miracles and signs that were performed when the apostles were here on this earth. And so Jesus stated that He would send the Spirit from the Father. And since Jesus is sending the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost and Jesus cannot be the same being. And since the Holy Ghost comes from the Father, the Holy Ghost cannot be the Father. So we understand and should be able to understand from these simple verses that they're three separate entities. So this morning I want to talk about the concept of indwelling. And if you have your Bible, turn over to Psalm chapter 139. In Psalms chapter 139, it's a psalm of David, and it says, O Lord, Thou hast searched me and know me. Thou knowest my down or my down sittings and my uprisings. Thou understandest my thoughts afar off. Thou compassed my path and my lying down, and art acquainted with all my ways. And there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, Thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before, and laid thy hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot obtain unto it. Whether shall I go from thy spirit, or whether shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. There we see that God, the Father, and the Spirit are everywhere. You can't get away from them on this planet. They're here. They're there. You go to the moon, they're going to be there. God is everywhere. That's the omnipresence of God. And it's spoken of there in Psalms 139. And so in verse 7 it says that God is a Spirit, is always present, and is everywhere. We can see there was nowhere that He could go. David could not escape God. And it's kind of amazing when you think about in the in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden. They hid or they thought they could hide from God. You know, sometimes we think that we can hide from God too. We can do something and you know no one knows about it. God sees it. God knows what we're doing and where we did it and you know what all was involved. So God is deity and God is always present. That's one of the characteristics of deity. That they're always everywhere, they, and that, I mean that's a concept that's I think difficult for us to uh, comprehend. How can he know your goings and comings and mine also at the same time? And people on the other side of the world—that's beyond our thoughts, beyond our thinking. But it's deity. God's not like us. He is God, and so is the Spirit, and so is the Son. 
God was always present as we can see in the Old Testament with Israel. And Moses didn't want to go any further until he knew that God was with him in Exodus chapter 33, verses 12 through 17. And that's very important for us to realize that God is with us and God, Jesus has promised to be with His disciples uh, even today. In that great commission when He said, All power has been given unto Me in heaven and earth. Uh, we realize that where they, that He is there because He goes on to say, And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. So our Savior, our Lord, is with us. He's with us today. In fact, in Matthew chapter 18 and verse 20, it says, For where two or three are gathered together in My name, there I am in the midst of them. So our Lord's here today. And we need to realize that. And when we worship God, we should realize that He's in our presence. But how many of us conduct ourselves in a way where we realize that we're actually singing songs of praise to Him? That we're praying to God. That we're doing all of the things in our worship and it's directed to God. And that He is here. Just because we can't see Him doesn't mean that He's not here. Because that's the promise that He's given us. In fact, the Bible points out in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5, "...let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as ye have. For He has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee." Yet when people speak of God and Jesus being present, they think of someone who is close, who's at hand, who's readily available, who we, can, we have access to. But when they speak of the Holy Spirit, when they talk about His presence, that concept sometimes changes to where they think that it's going to be something where we lose control, that the Spirit is going to take us and we have no choice. And there's a lot of people that believe that. That when we surrender to God, that we have no choice in the matter. And that's just simply not true. So my question this morning is, when we look at the uh, God dwelling in us, the Father, the Son dwelling in us, why do we look at them in one way, but we look at the Holy Spirit dwelling in us in a different way? I don't believe there's a difference. I believe they all dwell in us the same way. And so we'll see that this morning. So I want to look at this concept of indwelling. Even though indwelling is used frequently in the religious world, that word is rarely used in English translations of the Bible. It is not used. That word indwelling is not in the, New, or in the King James. It's not in the American Standard. It's not in the NIV. And it's not in the New King James Version. It is in some of the other translations. But I want us to understand that they do dwell in us. The question is how? Well, let me go back here. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and verse 19, it says, "...what know ye not that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you?" which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. So what's that telling me? That that Spirit is in me. Well, look at what it says in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 14. That good thing which is committed unto thee, keep by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in you. 
That word that's dwelleth is a Greek word which means housed. And we'll see that here. Uh, we can look at some of the words that are used and you can read the Greek words. I'm not going to even try to pronounce them. I'm not a Greek scholar and I'm not going to pretend to be. But you can look at some of those words and you can see what they mean. That it means to dwell in or uh, it's related in some way to that. Uh, uh, it has a reference to dwelling in something or abiding in some place. And the root word, which we'll see in some cases, means to house. And so, what does that mean? It means to place you in a or to place in a habitat. It is your abode. It is the place where you live. So the Spirit lives in me. And I think that we're going to see from Scripture that God lives in me. Christ lives in me. So it shouldn't seem so strange that the Spirit lives in me also. And that the Spirit isn't going to operate any differently than God dwelling in me or the Son dwelling in me. We look at that last word that's up there on the screen, and it means to abide or to remain, which refers to standing in one place or commit or continuing in one idea. And too often we want religious things to be more mysterious than we than they should be. And when we look at the simple truth of God's word, it's rejected. You know, the minute you tell someone that you believe that revelation most of has been fulfilled, people no longer want to hear about revelation. When you talk about the the destruction of Jerusalem that that's taking place, they want to apply that to the end of times. No, they no longer want to hear about that. Why? Because they want some mystery. They want something puzzling, something difficult. The simple answer, I believe, is always there for us if we will hear it and if we will listen to it. So, let's look at an example. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 16, it says, "...we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love, and He that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in Him." There in parentheses I have placed the Greek word that is used for the word dwelleth. And in that verse, what are we told? That we are to dwell, as Christians, we are to dwell in love. And when we dwell in love, then we dwell in God, and God dwells in us. And so notice that relationship that you see in that passage of Scripture, that it's a two-way street. That we dwell in God, God dwells in us. However, you describe God dwelling in you, it equally applies to your dwelling in God. And that's where many people get the Holy Spirit dwelling wrong. They get caught. You see, God dwelling in a person is described as a form of possession where God controls that person's life. That's what some people believe. But since I dwell in God, does that mean that I control God? If God dwells in me and I have no control, then does that mean that I dwell in God and He has no control? That's kind of ridiculous to even comprehend or to think about. If that happened, God would no longer be supreme. Yet, doesn't God control my life? Yes, He does. 
I'll answer that for you, of course. But only because I've given Him my life. I've surrendered my life. I've denied myself. And I've taken up that cross and followed Him. I still have choices. I still could rebel. But I don't. Instead, I choose to do things God's way. You see, God dwelling in me doesn't mean that I've lost the ability to choose. Just as my dwelling in God means that doesn't mean that God's lost control over Himself. I being in God and God being in me paints a picture that God and I have chosen to live together in harmony. Look at 1 John chapter 2 and verse 14. You see, what we're talking about is a result of a Christian choosing to be obedient to the teachings of God. How do I know that? Well, look at John chapter 2, or 1 John chapter 2 and verse 14. I have written unto you, fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I have written unto you, young men, because ye are strong, and the word of God abideth in you, and ye have overcome the wicked one. As we talked last week about the works of the Holy Spirit, we're filled with the Holy Spirit when we fill ourselves, when we dwell in God's Word, when we have God's Word in us. What does it mean in that verse, verse 14, when it says that they abide in the Word of God? What does that mean? It means that the teachings of God have a place to reside in your heart, in your mind, so that you know what God's Word teaches. And when God's Word is in you, then God Himself abides with us as well. That's what the Scripture teaches us. A two-way street once again. And then in verse 24 of that same chapter, it says, "...let that therefore abide in you which ye have heard from the beginning, if..." There's a big if there. "...if that which ye have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, ye also shall continue in the Son and in the Father." So what's that Scripture telling me? Well, I have to continue in the Word of God. What is that Word of God? Well, obviously, that faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. So I have to hear that message. And that's what it's talking about. And it's really not any different than what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 15 chapter when he's talking about he'd presented the Gospel and if they kept those things that he had learned in their memory, then they would be saved. And so there's the if. If we keep God's Word in our lives, then we have God, we have Christ, we have the Spirit, and they dwell in us. When I reject that Word... They're not going to dwell in me. They're not going to abide in me. And so God's Word is something that has to be in our heart in order for us to have that Spirit dwelling in us. We don't lose control. We still have choices. You see, we have to abide in His love. And again, that two-way street, God becomes part of our lives through His Word. And we in turn become close to God, the Father, and God the Son. That's what the Scripture is showing us, how important it is to read and understand and apply God's Word. Put it in our hearts. It helps us in this life. 
Living together is something that's important. We want to dwell in harmony with God. And that can only be done when I'm living by His Word. When I reject His Word, then I can't abide in Christ. I can't abide in God. I cannot abide in the Holy Spirit. The concept of indwelling, we can look at John chapter 14 and verse 11. It says, and Jesus is talking here, He says, Believe Me that I am in the Father and the Father in Me, or else believe Me for the very work's sake. Jesus and God, Jesus is telling us, are in each other. They have a close relationship. John chapter 20 or 14 and verse 20, it says, At that day ye shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. You see, the Christian is in Christ. Galatians chapter 3, verse 27 tells us that we're baptized into Christ. That's how we get into Christ. And so we're baptized into Christ. And so I'm in Christ, and Christ is in me. And that's what Paul said when he said, it's no longer I that live, but Christ living in me. Did Paul have a choice? Could he have rebelled against God? Well, certainly he could have. Because he had that spirit doesn't mean that everything was going to go just perfect. He was going to live a perfect life. He could still have a choice to do things that were wrong. Again, I think what we see in these verses between God and His Son and the Christian and the Godhead is that close relationship that God is there. He's not, he's not going to forsake us. You see, people understand that relationship with God the Son and God the Father. People understand it until the Holy Spirit comes into the picture. People understand that the Father and the Son are in heaven. So their dwelling with us is easily seen in a close relationship. But notice what it says in some verses between those two verses. you got John chapter 14 and verse 11 and John chapter 14 and verse 20 talking about God and the Son, God the Father and God the Son abiding in each other. And then the Christian and Christ and God dwelling in each other. But look at what it says in John chapter 14, verses 15 through 17. If you keep My commandments, or if you love Me, keep My commandments, and I will pray the Father, and He shall give you another Comforter, that He may abide, there's that Greek word again, with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth Him not, neither knoweth Him, but ye know Him, for He dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. You read that passage of Scripture, I think that there's no mystery that, of what, what is stated. It's almost parallel, if you look at that verse and compare it to 1 John chapter 2 and verse 24, it's almost parallel in the verse that we looked at a few moments ago. And when we keep God's Word, which I think is what Jesus is pointing out there, if you love Me, keep My commandments. When we keep God's Word, instead of saying the Son and the Father abides in us, Jesus is saying that the Spirit of truth resides in us. So when that Spirit of truth resides in us, we can abide and we do abide in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they abide, they dwell 
in us. In other words, the Word of God becomes the common meeting place, the common ground between the disciple and God. And while we remain in God's Word, notice the if in those verses, the if that's there that we talked about earlier, if you keep in memory, if you uh, stay in that Word, then you have a close relationship with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. You think about our life of rebellion. If we rebel against God, how can He continue to dwell in us? We've rejected God. We've turned away from God. And so if we want to have that close relationship, then we have to abide and stay in His Word. Because that Word is something that is very important. And so when we look at the indwelling or the dwelling of the Spirit and the dwelling of Christ, many emphasize the Spirit's dwelling in the Christian, but the New Testament speaks just as forcefully of Jesus dwelling in the Christian. When you let's look at Romans chapter eight, verses nine and eleven, and while you read that, I want you to notice Notice the shift from the Spirit dwelling in you to Christ being in you, and then back to the Spirit dwelling in you. Beginning at verse 9, it says, "...but ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. So if be that the Spirit of God dwell in you, now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit of life because of righteousness." But in the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by His Spirit that dwelleth in you. So there we see that the Spirit dwells in us, but it's there, and so does Christ. Christ dwells in us also. And then we see in that last part of the verse, again, that the Spirit dwelleth in us. So all those two unique deities dwell in us. So Paul, I think, sees that as interchangeably. That you can have the Spirit in Christ and God all are dwelling in us. And that's important to realize. There's nothing mysterious about the Holy Spirit. The religious world tries to confuse it. They try to make it some mystery when in fact Christ dwells in us and we don't have a problem understanding that. God dwells in us. We don't have a problem understanding that. But the minute someone says that the Spirit dwells in us, there's a problem. It's got to be some kind of mysterious thing. You have to be able to speak in tongues. You have to be able to, to, to uh, raise the dead. You have to be able to uh, heal people. You've got to do all of these things. That came about because of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then when the apostles laid their hands on some individuals, they could do those miraculous things. But those were to confirm the Word. The Word of God. The Word that you and I have. And so there's no longer a need for those miracles to confirm the Word because it's already been confirmed. It has been proven and it is something that we need to accept and put it in our hearts, put it in our lives. You see, God or Christ is formed in us as we see in Galatians chapter 4, verse 6, or 19, where it says, My little children of whom I travail in birth again unto Christ be, until Christ be formed in you. 
We know that we're baptized into Christ, as Galatians chapter 3 and verse 27 tells us, that we're baptized into Christ, so we're baptized into His body. And then we see that we grow and we, we uh, uh, multiply as a Christian, where we take the gospel out and we teach that to other people so that they can grow. And so that's part of the, the, the process that we have. Now, how does all of that happen? Well, we are baptized and people want to say, well, when you teach that baptism is essential to salvation, you're teaching that it's works. Well, no, I'm teaching that we do what God says do because we base it upon our faith in what we've heard from God's Word. And God's Word is truth. And we need to realize that's how we're sanctified through God's Word, through obedience to to that word. Listen to what it says in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. For this cause I bow my knee unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ dwell in, may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, once again, that Spirit is spoken of as being in man along with Christ dwelling in man's heart through faith. So I put God's Word in, in my heart. I have faith in that Word. It's just like any example that you see in Hebrews chapter 11. They heard the Word of God. Noah heard the Word of God. Abel heard the Word of God. And they were moved to do what God's Word said. So when we hear that Word of God... We're moved to do what God, what Christ, what the Holy Spirit wants us to do. Do they possess us to the point where we have no choice? Absolutely not. We have a choice. We can follow that Word and be led by God, or we can reject God. And we're not going to have that close relationship. We're not going to have them abiding in our lives. We talk about the gift. Well, in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 7, we need to understand there also that there's a gift, the gift of Christ. It says, But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Now, I think we understand that that gift of Christ is salvation, it was paid for with the blood of Christ. He died on the cross so that you and I could have the forgiveness of sin. We didn't deserve it. It's through His grace that we have that plan that you and I can be obedient to. But again, we've got to hear that gospel message. And we've got to be obedient to that message in order to be saved. Jesus said, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. The day of Pentecost, they preached that gospel message that Jesus died, that He was buried, that He died for their sins and was buried and that He rose victorious over the grave and was then ruling and reigning at the right hand of God. That was the gospel message. The death, burial, and the resurrection of Christ, they obeyed that message when they heard what they needed to do. And what they were told to do was in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38 where it says, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sin, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Is that gift of the Holy Ghost any different than the gift of, of Christ? Again, it's salvation. That's the gift that you and I receive when we obey that message that God has extended to us. 
It's the same gift. Jesus bought our salvation with His blood. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7. In whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. We have that forgiveness because of what Jesus did on the cross. Yeah, certainly there's nothing that we can do to earn it. Nothing that we can do to demand it. But what we can do is be obedient. We hear that message. By faith we accept that message. And we follow through by doing what we by faith have accepted. And that faith has to be based upon God's Word. Not man's opinion. Not what you may think, what somebody else may think. It has to be based upon God's Word. That's where faith has to be based. And that Spirit guarantees our salvation through the promise of God that is written in His Word. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, "...in whom we have also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of your inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession." unto the praise of His glory. That Spirit guarantees what God has given to us, what the Father has delivered to us, and what Jesus has delivered to us. We see in His Word the promise that we have that if we remain faithful, if we remain in His Word, if we abide in that Word, then we can have that assurance that heaven will be our home. Jesus made it possible. That's His gift. The Holy Spirit has made it possible. That's His gift. And the work of Christ and the work of the Spirit are kind of intermingled. And that relationship of the, of the Christian with Christ and the Spirit is also kind of mingled together. God is one. You cannot dwell without, or you cannot dwell with Christ without also dwelling with, uh, with, with the Spirit. When Christ is in us, the Spirit is also there. And so is the Father. And when we are in Christ, we are also in the Father and in the Spirit. We're in all three. Do we possess them? Do we control them? No. And how silly it would be to think that we would have control over them. And when they dwell in us, they don't take control of us. We allow it we, by surrendering our will to do their will when we obey the Word. You see, the dwelling place of God is important. In the Old Testament, we know that the temple and the tabernacle represented God's presence with His people. God doesn't dwell in physical places. We know from Isaiah chapter 66 that there is no place that's actually big enough to contain God. There's no place in this universe. In fact, in, in Isaiah chapter 66 and verse 1, he says, Thus saith the Lord, the heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstep, or footstool. Where is the house that ye build unto me? And where is the place of my rest? To think that we could build a place that would contain God. It's impossible. We couldn't do that. And that's what God's trying to show us. This universe isn't big enough to contain God. The heaven is His throne. The earth is His footstool. Where does He reside? 
In the Old Testament, it was the same place that He resides today. In Isaiah chapter 66 and verse 2, it tells us that He's looking for the poor, the contrite spirit, and those that tremble at His Word. That's where He dwells. Those that have a respect for His Word. Those who realize that it's from God. Those who want to apply it to their lives. Those who are willing to surrender and admit that they have surrendered to God and allow Him to control their life by following the things that He teaches us from His Word. That theme of God dwelling in us continues over into the New Testament. In John chapter 1, and verse 14, it says, For the Word was made flesh and dwelled among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. God dwells with us today. He came to this earth and He dwelt among man. He was tempted like we are, but yet He was without sin. And so He's lived a life and He knows what it's like to live here on this earth. And He dwells in the hearts and minds and souls of people who are willing to surrender their life to Him. He abode with man here on this earth physically at one point, but we look forward to the day that He dwells with us for eternity. In Revelation 21 and verse 3, it says, And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and He will dwell with them, and they shall be His people, and God shall be with them and be their God. What a day that will be, won't it? We stand before God and judge according to our life, and if we're found faithful, we'll hear... Enter thou into the joys of thy Lord. What a blessing that will be to have God with us for eternity. But meanwhile, while we're here on this earth, 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 16 teaches us where it says, And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God, as God hath said. I will dwell in them and walk in them and I will be their God and then they shall be my people. God dwells in me. And if you're a Christian, God dwells in you. Doesn't that show us something about how we should treat our bodies? How we should live our life knowing that the Godhead is in us? You see, we represent God in this world. In second or first Corinthians chapter six verses nineteen through twenty says what? Know ye not that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own, for ye have been bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your bodies and in your spirit, which are God's. So it's not only Sunday morning, Sunday evening where we glorify God. We need to glorify God in this body because we know what's in this body. That it's the it houses the Word of God, and in that by that taking place, we have God living in us, Christ living in us, the Spirit living in us, and so when we go out into the world, we represent that. We're ambassadors for Christ. Paul said he was a fool for Christ. Question is, are you a fool for Christ? I read about a man who walked through New York City who had a, one of those uh, sandwich signs on. On the front it said, I'm a fool for Christ. And on the back it said, whose fool are you? And maybe that's the question we should ask ourselves. Are you a fool for Christ? 
And if not, then whose fool are you? You see, we live in this world and we have choices. God chooses to live with those who love Him and those who will do His will. In 1 John chapter 2, and verse 24, it says, "...let that therefore abide in you which ye have heard from the beginning. If that which ye have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, ye, shall, ye also shall continue in the Son and in the Father." That very first word... It says, let. Don't say you're gonna, He's going to make it. You think God couldn't make us be His servants? You don't think God could control us if He wanted to? That's why He says, let. It means you have a choice. You can let God dwell in you, or you can reject Him. And notice in Revelation chapter 20 and verse, or 3 and verse 20, you see, He gives us a choice. And even standing there at the door of the church at Laodicea, that was the church, His people, that He's knocking on their door. And it says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear My voice and open, that, open the door, I will come in to him, and I will sup with him and he with Me. You want Christ in your life? You want Christ to live in you? You want God to live in you? God the Father to live in you? You want the Holy Spirit to live in you? then you have to let Christ into your life. And Jesus tells us that we have to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Him. That's the price that we pay. That's the life that we're willing to live. And no matter what happens in this world, we're still going to be faithful to God. No matter what, we're going to live that faithful life. We have to overcome temptation. We have to purge sin from our lives. We need to be faithful to Him. Jesus is knocking at the hearts of people today and He's wanting to come in. The question is, where have you chosen to live? Have you chosen to live with Christ? With the Father? With the Holy Spirit? Or are you choosing to live with the devil? The choice is yours. Hopefully this has helped you in some way to understand how the Spirit dwells in you. Hopefully it will. Uh, if you need to respond to the invitation this morning, we would encourage you to come and have a seat up here on the front row while we stand and sing.